Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 6. The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 6. We're moving forward in our series of the pastoral epistles where we're taking these personal epistles that the Apostle Paul is writing to, to two men who are acting in the office of a pastor. That we know that books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy was writing, written to Paul's son in the faith, Timothy, who is currently located in the city of Ephesus. And then later we're going to see the, <coughs> excuse me, the writings to Titus, who is overseeing the idea office of a pastor in the island of Crete. Now, it's important to understand that this is information given to a pastor, not to a church, but to a pastor, so that way he can teach the people in the church. And we're seeing who has the responsibility of teaching about doctrine, about godliness, how to behave yourself as a Christian, and the subject that we'll be hitting tonight. And so if you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of First Timothy and chapter number 6. The book of First Timothy and chapter number 6. And notice with me starting at verse number 1. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. The Word of God says this. Let many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren. But rather, do them service because they are faithful and beloved. Partakers of the benefit, these things teach and exhort. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of First Timothy chapter number 6? The book of First Timothy chapter number 6, and in verse 1, you notice the phrase is kind of broken up a little bit, but notice this, that we want to understand this, that the name of God, and then notice uh, the end of it, be not blaspheme, that the name of God be not blasphemed. And so if you don't mind, we want to hit this passage here and see the teaching that Paul is instructing Timothy to teach those in his church so that the name of God shall not be blasphemed. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you to open up the Word of God, we're asking that this passage be clear. And we understand that this is a passage that is not popular. This teaching does not go well, so much that even Paul told Timothy that he needed to teach it in despite of how it's not how well it, or not well it would be received. We're asking that you would just help it to be clear, help it to be understood, and help it to be a help to us in a very practical way that we may apply it to our everyday life so that the name of God 
shall not be blasphemed. I'm asking once again that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you get your own work accomplished, that you would show yourself present, and that we would have a greater determination to be obedient to what you've given us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of 1 Timothy, we could see that there's a natural division. That we could see the philosophy, the theology, in the first three chapters of Timothy. And then as we come to chapters 4, 5, and 6, we could see more of a doctrine, uh, not the doctrinal part, but the practical part. The application. Because of who God is, how should we respond? Because of God's place, what should we do? And as we come to the heart of chapter 6, we can see more of this direct application because of who God is, because of who God should be in our lives, this is how we should respond. Now, in order to understand this passage in a further uh, um, detail, we have to understand the error, the setting of this world. That when Paul is writing to Timothy in this setting, approximately 60 AD, we know that he is writing during the time of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was spread out all across Europe to the uh, almost covering the entire part of the Mediterranean Sea, even extending kind of up to what we would call Germany and spreading out all the way to Spain. And an interesting statistic about the Roman Empire is that the Roman Empire was made up of mostly slaves. Some historians guesstimate that most of the Roman Empire, up to 75% of the population, were slaves. And so this was an institution, we live in a free America, that we do not have slaves. In fact, the idea of slavery has an awful connotation because of the history of our country. But back then, it was a reality. It was something that was there. It was something that was evident. It was something that was part of everyday life, that there was the idea of slaves, and that 75% of all the population of Rome was slaves. Therefore, most of the population of the local church was slaves. Think about that. So when he's speaking in the next, these two verses in chapter number six, he's addressing a congregation that is mostly made up of slaves or someone who would very much understand the institution of slavery that was there during the time of Rome. So when you come to this passage, we understand with social issues being around our country, you would almost think that the Apostle Paul is about ready to say, let's have a slave revolt. Let's go ahead and let's overthrow this awful institution of slavery. But instead of rebellion, something else is being taught here. For the purpose that the name of God be not blasphemed. So what we're seeing here is what is the proper way for a slave to respond to his master? Now, we know that we don't have slavery as an institution in this country currently, but we can make the application, and we will. What is the proper way for an employee to respond to their employer. This is the direct application. And if you're here today, we're assuming that if you're an adult of healthy mind and healthy body, not retired, you have a job. So this directs you. This applies to you. One day, you, if you're a little one, you may end up working and praise the Lord for it. How should you respond to your employer? 
Well, that's a great question. And so we can see the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, instructs Timothy, who is in the office of a pastor, and he's giving him instructions for him to talk, to address a church full of people who most of them are slaves, in my case, addressing a, a church full of people who are employees, how to respond to their employer. And so if you don't mind, the very first thing we'd like to see here is the idea of employers or employees with unsaved masters. Employees with unsaved masters. So we're assuming that you, as you work, you are either going to be working for someone that is saved, that means they understand Jesus Christ is their personal Savior, forgiven them of their sins, washed in the blood of the Lamb, that they have come to the Lord Jesus Christ personally to ask Him to forgive them of their sins. So you are either serving someone who is saved as an employer, or you're working for someone that is not saved. So how do we respond to someone? We're Christians. We've accepted Jesus as our Savior. How are we supposed to respond to someone that we work for that is not saved? That is not a Christian? Great question. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Notice with me in verse number one. Let as many servants, the word servants literally carries the idea of slaves. So let as many servants that are under the yoke. What we see here is that Paul is showing his understanding of the institution of slavery by using this phrase that any servant that is under the yoke, the word yoke carries the idea of a harness that would be placed upon a beast of burden, an ox or a horse, in order to plow. And so he's carrying the idea that any servant who's under the yoke that has that, that oppression put on him, and by the way, it is with the human spirit that rebels against that idea, that rebels against the idea of placing yourself under a yoke. And so he's saying, any of you servants, you slaves that are under a master and you're under slavery, which is the idea that you're placed into a yoke. Notice as he goes on in verse one, let as many servants that are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Worthy of all honor. We know that when he's talking here, he's talking about masters. So he's saying servants, which carries the idea of slavery, and it carries the picture they're under the yoke. But it carries the idea here of the master. The word master is what we would translate our English word into a despot, a dictator. It applies absolute ownership and implied control. So nobody... <laughs> tells the master what to do. The master tells you what to do. He is the master. He's the, the absolute ruler in your life. Some of you feel like you go to work and your master is the absolute ruler over your life. But it's dealing with this idea here. How do you, how you as an employee, as a Christian, respond to that type of person? Well, the employee is to count their master worthy of all honor. That doesn't, that doesn't matter what the master does. The employee, <laughs> employer is worthy of all honor because of his position. Because he's the employer, we as Christians are to honor him even if he's not worthy of honor. Even if he's the scum of the earth, you're supposed to treat him worthy of all honor. It carries the idea 
<laughs> that we treat him in a way he's worthy of position for the purpose that we can lead him to the Lord. The potential of him getting saved. Because we don't want the word of God to be blasphemed. If we say that we're a Christian and God can save everyone except for scumbags like that. Then we're not going to lead him to the Lord. We're laboring for the purpose of testimony that they can see us and say, what is the matter with this guy? I ask him to do this and he goes beyond that. I ask him to do this and he goes beyond that. What is wrong? This isn't how an employee or in this case a slave is supposed to behave. What is the matter with them? Well, let me tell you what the matter is with me. I've accepted Jesus as my savior. And because their God is real to them, it's going to show in how they work and how they treat the boss, how they honor him. We know that Christ can equip the servant to do whatever is required to serve the master. All we have to do is trust Christ to work with us. So if your boss asks you to do something unreasonable, God can give you the grace to do what you were asked. If he asks something that seems debasing, well, guess what? God can give you the grace to do what is asked. If something is, seems to be far-fetched, God can give you the grace to go through it. That's the secret that we have as Christians, is that God can provide the grace. Now, the, the master may never get saved. The employer may never get saved. But the one thing that's going to happen is that we're never going to give him an excuse to say why he didn't believe. Well, let me tell you, I worked with a Christian once and they were lazy and they were I couldn't trust them. Well, that gives the employer, the master, a reason not to trust Jesus Christ because of the attitude and the work ethic of the servant. So this is how we're supposed to treat those masters, those employers who are not saved. We're supposed to give them all honor and do our best because of the Lord Jesus Christ for the potential of winning that person of the Lord. If you're fighting with a boss, you're not going to be able to win him to the Lord. If you're a horrible worker, you're not going to be able to win him to the Lord. How, how does he tell that there's something different between you and this other guy over here? By the way you work. By the way you work and the way that you respond to the boss. So we know how we're supposed to respond to those that are not saved. And verse 2, what we see is how employees are supposed to respond to saved masters. Meaning the employer they work with is saved. They know Jesus Christ is their savior. And by the way, this is an interesting position because as I said, 75% of the, of the churches were slaves. And it is very reasonable and happened often where on Sunday, the slave was the Bible teacher and the master was the learner. But guess what happens on Monday? Monday, the boss is the boss. You know, sometimes it's harder to work for someone who is saved 
Because, notice with me in verse 2. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them. This word despise here carries the idea to think down upon. Meaning that you know the employee. You can see them and you become familiar with them. You become, familiarity always breeds contempt. So you get familiar with them. You become buddy-buddy with them. And the next thing you know, you have a more favored position than everyone else. Oh, he's kissing up to the boss. He goes out with the ball. And it carries the idea of impropriety here. But it carries the idea that that, that relationship of the master and the servant is altered. It doesn't matter who your employer is. He's the employer. You're the employee. He's the master. You're the servant. You're to do your best and not try to use the position that he's a Christian to get out of work, to, to get your own way, to abuse that relationship because both of them are Christians. In fact, notice what it says in verse 2. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are because brethren, but rather do them service. Notice that phrase, to do them service. To do service literally carries the idea to slave. So how are we supposed to work for a, a saved master? We're supposed to slave for them. Well, this isn't popular language and talk. We're supposed to slave for them. The boss tells us what to do. We respond and not only do it, but we're to do our best to go to the second mile. That for a slave, if we're going to slave for them, there is no task too tedious or, <coughs> or, <coughs> or too bad that an employee wouldn't be glad to do it and go the extra mile for it. He's willing to do the labor and go above and beyond it because of who God is. Again, this flies against the face of everything our culture believes today. Notice again as it goes on in verse 2. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service. Why? Because they are faithful and beloved. Why? Because they're Christians. Because God loves them. Don't take advantage because the employer is a Christian and the Christian has that, that giving spirit. If, you're, if your boss behaves like a Christian, then sometimes it's easy to try to take advantage of them. And you shouldn't take advantage of them. Notice this last phrase here, or as it goes on with this, and partakers of the benefit, meaning that you guys are going to heaven together. You know, a lot of people scratch their head about the Apostle Paul. Why didn't he kind of endorse Spartacus? Spartacus was a Roman slave who read, led slave revolts and tried to get his way through rebellion. Paul knew better. He knew that if he was going to change how society was run, it was going to be changed by reaching people's hearts one by one by one. To have an employer look at his employee and say, what is the matter with him? That's something different. That's something different. This, <coughs> notice if you don't mind the last phrase of verse 2. It says, these things teach and exhort. He's telling Timothy, Timothy, you've got to instruct this. Because this is not going to be popular, but you have to teach us. Now again, imagine I'm Timothy. I'm the pastor. And I'm about ready to preach this message 
to a church full of slaves. Do you think the initial responses for the people in the pews to go, Amen, preacher, you keep preaching. Do you think he got a lot of amens on that message? The message is to work your best, no matter who your boss is, for the name of Christ. And that God will give you grace to do whatever is required to do your job and to do it well. Again, not a message that back then, a lot of amens. Could you imagine how nervous Timothy could have been to approach and address this message? Hey, slaves, if you're a slave, raise your hand. Do your best for your employer. You think yeah, he might have some people waiting to talk with him afterwards and say, all right, you don't understand who my boss is. No, but I understand who God is. And I know what he said. Do you want to win your employer to the Lord? You want to win your employees to the Lord? Then this is what you've got to do. Which now brings me to the last thing. More of the application. We understand that the 4th of July is tomorrow. So let's turn it to a patriotic message. You know, the one thing that made America great, according to the people who came to our country in the 1800s, early 1900s, that came over and observed and watched what made America great, what built this great nation, was something that they called a Protestant work ethic. There were many papers written about it, including one uh, written in 1904 that described the idea and the relationship between a Protestant work ethic and, and capitalism. But it was an observation about the work ethic. You see, what happened when the people came to this country, they believed the word of God. And because they believed the word of God, it changed who they were. And when they came over and they understood the emphasis of the Bible and application over and over and over, it is the idea to work, to work. Now, let me define my terms. Uh, let me use an illustration. When uh, Pastor Sexton came to be the pastor of the Temple Baptist Church many years ago, there were several employees in that church already. And I heard personally from one of those employees that when Pastor Sexton observed after a week or so, looked at the employees, he had a meeting and says, none of you know how to work. Imagine that. These are Christian full-time workers working at a church. And Pastor Sexton had a meeting and says, none of you know how to work. They were like, well, some of them were offended. They were mad. But the employee that I personally had talked to said, you know what? After a while, we realized we didn't know how to work. Do you know that there's a difference between being busy and working? Part of what's happened in our culture today is that we've learned how to be busy. So when we talk about work hard, work hard, you're like, I'm already busy enough. What more do you want me to do? We're not talking about putting in more hours. We're talking about being effective and productive with the task you've been given to do. <laughs> to be Given a task and to do that task well is what built this country. Observers would come from all over the world, watch our nation, and they would say, what made America great when they got back to their countries? 
because their country was good. Their country knew how to work. Knew how to work. You understand that today, there are some people that could put on an eight-hour job and they could tinker with this and tinker with this and go to the water cooler and gossip over here and tinker with this and tinker with this and after eight hours get nothing done. That is not working well. That's being busy. You know, there's something about putting your mind to what you're doing currently. Focusing on the job and doing it such a productive and effectiveness that a true Christian who is following after the Lord with the grace of God, it should take two people to replace you when you're gone. Because you're working that hard. Because you're being productive in what you're doing. What has happened is that we have lost in our country in the last several years, last 50 years it began to decline, of this Protestant work ethic. That what happened is that we had the mindset that I worked so hard, I want to give my kids something better, a better life than what I had. And as a result, they gave their kids everything and their kids didn't have to work for it. So now, instead of working for what they had, they felt entitled to everything. I deserve a good house. I deserve a good car. I deserve a good pay. I deserve. And they haven't worked for it. And then another generation said the whole thing, that you had a generation who worked hard, and they said, I want to give my kids something better. And so they provided everything for their kids, and they didn't have to work. Then that generation said, I want something better for my kids, and they gave their kids everything. And the next one, and now we have a generation who didn't have to work for anything. And they've lost this work ethic. And so now when it comes time to say, I'm a Christian, there's no difference between them and everywhere else. And it's harder to win an employer to the Lord because the employees don't have to work. Remember, this is how the employee, employer sees. They see what you do and how you work. They could see if you're gossiping all the time and talking. They could see if you're wasting time. You know, it gets to the place where employers now are just looking for a warm body, but it would be nice if someone knew how to work. They knew how to work. But if you call yourself a Christian and follower of the Bible, then this is the example for soul's sake. Because I want to win the people around me to the Lord. I want to see people come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. We need to have a revolution back to the Bible and back to the principles of the Bible. And again, they called it for many years this Protestant work ethic. Because there was a group of people who believed the Bible and it showed up in how they worked. And we're not talking about becoming busier. We live in a society that has so many time-saving devices that it hasn't saved us time at all. We just become busier and busier and accomplishing less and less. You understand that when our founding fathers were fighting the Revolutionary War, the average founding father or the signer of the Declaration of Independence wrote four or five books There was something different about how people worked. You see, it's not how busy you are. It's are you accomplishing what was given to you? 
Are you doing it with all your heart, your mind? Asking for God's grace to help you to accomplish what you're supposed to do. And then go back for more. I know this isn't a popular message, but by the way, it wasn't popular when Timothy told the church of Ephesus either. But this is an important message. Why? That the name of God be not blasphemed. That if you want to win your co-workers to the Lord, if you want to win your boss to the Lord, it comes by how you work. That is the evidence that there's something different about you. And that's what made America great, was that people knew how to work. So how do we apply this today? Praise the Lord that none of you are slaves. I don't have to send you back to your masters tonight and say, all right, I, I know that you've got to work hard, but tomorrow, not tomorrow, Friday, Monday, whenever you do go back to work, you have to go back to work. But there should be a difference in how you work compared to those that don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior. And there should be such a difference that people scratch their heads and say, what is wrong with them? Let me tell you what's wrong with me. I know Jesus is my Savior and he's done so much for me. And I want you to know him too. Let the name of God be not blasphemed. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.